Good morning. How's everyone? Good? Good? All right. There's a couple of people on this side of the room that are good. No one over here. That's a cool. That's cool. No, it's a... Were you guys freaked out this morning when you walked outside and it was like in the 60s? I don't know if anyone else did that. I walked out and I was like, whoa, what the heck is going on here? Um, also, if you didn't make it out to the worship night Friday, that was pretty awesome. It went really well. And um, I was reflecting, most, unless you've been to a next class, you don't know this. This church actually started in a little basement on Maple Street on the square. Uh, we went to the, eventually got the, the building that is now the Brass Horn Coffee Shop. We kept that and got a second building right on the same corner. And we had both of those buildings until we, we moved into this building. Um, I remember when we did our first worship night, it was probably like, man, 2011, before it was before Kyle was here, did one, it was maybe 70 people in a room, mostly 20-somethings and a couple of 30-somethings peppered in there. Those were the old, old people at the time in our <laughs> church. And uh, it's just amazing when I was there Friday, standing on the stage, and I don't do anything at worship night except say hi for a minute and introduce the, the mayor. And, um, but looking out at that entire block full, you know, from side to side, front to back, all the way in that entire block, and however many people it is, 5,000 people or whatever, just guessing, and just, I think we can easily take for granted how much favor God has shown this church. And, um, and I don't mean that, yeah, thank you. I mean, I don't mean that to brag on our church, but how many areas can you think of where the city will literally shut down for you to have a worship night and the mayor will come out and pray for, for the event? It's very, very rare. So it was really, really neat. If you guys were there, I'm glad you were there. So what we do, if you've never been here, we always follow up our worship nights with a baptism weekend. And so if you're new to the church, we go line by line, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. Just got done with 1 Corinthians. This coming weekend, we will start 1 Peter, which is... Absolutely amazing. If you've never read that book of the Bible, um, do some homework and read at least chapter one. Eloquent, beautiful. It is so well-written. This is a true story. A lot of theologians believe it was too well-written for Peter to have written it, which I find offensive if you're Peter, right? You know, Peter's like, what the heck? You know, like, but uh, beautifully written, beautifully written book of the Bible. We'll start that this coming weekend. We'll start working through that. But this weekend... I'm gonna do something I don't ever do except for these weekends, and that's jump around in the Bible. Um, we typically just go through line by line through a chapter. So this is a weird thing for a pastor to say in church. You, you probably won't need your Bible this weekend. Um, don't throw anything. I don't mean that sacrilegiously because all the scripture will be up on the screen. Next week, though, when we get into 1 Peter, it's a good idea either to have a physical copy of the Bible, at least have the notes on the app, or if you have the Bible on your phone, have that good to follow along. So here is my um, goal today. I have two goals. One is if you are in this room and you're a Christian and you have been baptized, it's fine. I, I, I hope that through this lesson today, you will learn a lot about baptism. And the reason why I think that's important, even if you've already been baptized, is this may come up in conversation. You may have a non-believer at your work go, hey, like, why do you guys do the whole get in a tank of water thing? You will be able to explain this. You'll be able to converse about it. Maybe if you hear someone who claims to be a Christian say that baptism is not important, you can be like, oh, hold on a second. Let me, let me talk about that with you. And you can, hopefully, um, you can hopefully educate people on baptism. It's my first goal, okay? My second goal is this. If you are in this room, and you're either not a believer and you accept Christ today, or you are a believer and you have not done this, or maybe you did it as a, as a child or an infant and it wasn't your decision, 
my goal is to show you enough evidence from the Bible how important baptism is and that you will take that step today, okay? That's my, that's my real objective today. So you should have got a notes handout, has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. And um, if you have a Bible, again, I'll be jumping around, so it'll be hard to keep up that quick, but everything is on the app. So the Experience Community app, click on there. It's got the scripture, got the notes, has everything ready to go, okay? So I'm gonna pray, oh yeah, happy Father's Day to all you dads in the room, right? There's not enough good dads in the world, thank you. And then also before I forget, make sure you go back to the, to the Feed America First booth. We're trying to raise enough money to do a million meals um, just in this month so we can pay for a million meals. And I think we're getting pretty close to that if we haven't already hit it. But please go back there and support them. Okay, let me pray. And we'll jump into this lesson and I won't keep you too long so you can go out and buy your father a, a really, really nice lunch. Okay, all right? Okay. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for Friday, just the opportunity to, to get to worship in a public square. And um, thank you for the local businesses and our government allowing us to do that. God, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this weekend so far. I don't know how many people we've baptized so far this weekend, God, but I thank you for every single one. Pray that you keep your hand on them, God, for anyone in this service who may make this decision. I pray protection over them and blessing over them, God, and that you keep your hand on them. God, keep your hand on our church. We don't just pray for our church, we pray for every church in our city. God, keep your hand on the people that, that serve at Feed America First, God, and the, and the mission that they have and what they're doing to, to feed those in need, Lord. That's in your gospel, Lord, it's important. And we just pray, Lord, that everything we do today, that it honors you, that it blesses you, God, and that it brings us closer to you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're not very familiar with baptism, it is not an overtly complicated thing. So what baptism is, is it's a public display that one has chosen to follow Jesus. The Bible says this is where we become a new man or a new woman. And I always use the analogy of a marriage or a wedding ring. And so what baptism is, baptism is not your salvation, just like this piece of gold is not my marriage, but it is symbolic of your salvation in your relationship with Christ. Just like this piece of white gold on my finger, if I can still get it off, is symbolic of my relationship with my wife. So what we're essentially doing is this ring says to the world around you, right, that you are taken, you are committed to one person. This does the same thing. You're saying to the world around you, I'm committed to my husband, Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible calls the church the bride and Jesus the husband. And this is, if you will, the wedding ring of sorts, which is baptism. So this identifies us as Christians. Now, there's more to being identified as a Christian than just baptism. We have to live by the teachings and principles of the Bible. So, but this is probably the most evident thing you can do to say to the world, I am choosing to be a Christian. It should also be a turning point. Just like if you get married and you slap on a ring, right? And you have a, a preacher there, you make vows to each other. You are committing to live with this other person till death to you part, to be devoted to that person. Similar, it is a turning point in our lives and how we live our commitment to Christ. And so when we give our life to Jesus, when we ask God to, to come into our hearts, when we for, uh, ask for forgiveness of sins, that's a turning point. It's even a greater turning point, though, than when we say to the world through baptism, I'm following Jesus. At this point, we're asking to be held accountable for our faith. 
okay? So that's what baptism is. Now, what I hope to do, and it's not gonna take me long, is to show you some evidence now as to why this is a hugely important step in the life of a Christian. The first piece of evidence, which may be the most important piece of evidence, is that Jesus was baptized. Jesus set the example for baptism. Now, if you're super brave in here, if you go out and buy a Bible, let's say you give your life to Jesus today, you wanna know more about God, you go out and buy a Bible and you start in the beginning. That's pretty brave, right? I often tell people if you're new to the faith, I tell them to start in the book of Matthew. I say, think Star Wars when it comes to the Bible. You start at episode four, five, six, right? And then you go back, one, two, three. Then it all makes sense. It's easier that way. But if you're super brave, I'm not that big of a nerd, guys. It's just the best example I can think of. But if you're super brave and you buy a Bible and you wanna start in Genesis, which is fine, as you work your way through the Old Testament, the way that the people of God dealt with their sin and were reconciled to God was a pretty arduous process. What I mean is, every single year, the followers of God would have to get an animal, they would have to sacrifice it, they would burn certain parts, eat certain parts, throw away certain parts, pour the blood on an altar. They would do all this, and all that would do was roll their sin away to the following year where they would do the whole thing again, right? Pretty arduous process. When you get to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, Jesus came to change that process. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, he was going to become the ultimate sacrifice. When he shed his blood, that's the last blood that had to be shed for salvation. So if we just believe in him, if we repent for our sin and we choose to be baptized as a public profession, our sin is dealt with. No more sacrifice because Jesus was the sacrifice. We see the beginning of this in Matthew chapter three. There was a man named John the Baptist. He was actually related to Jesus, but he knew who Jesus was, that Jesus was God in the flesh, right? And John was sent by God first to go kind of pave the way for Jesus. And so John would be at the Jordan River baptizing people day in, day out. He's baptizing people. One day Jesus walks up, goes into the river, goes up to John and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. Now you can imagine John's response would probably be what most of our response would be. John goes, I am not qualified to do that. How can I do that? You're God, I'm, I'm just a mere, mere man, right? I can't do this. But Jesus said this, he said, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus was saying was, we are changing the way we are reconciled to God. We are changing the process by which we deal with sin and baptism is a part of that. And John goes, okay, all right. So John takes Jesus, baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water, the Bible says. Sky opens up, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and rests on Jesus and they hear the audible voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So what was the point? If Jesus didn't have any sin to, to, to ask for forgiveness for and no sin to wash away through baptism, why, why did he get baptized? Well, the answer is pretty clear. He got baptized to set the example for us. If we are followers of Jesus, we are to follow what he does, his lead. And we also see that we are to be obedient to God the Father. And that's why God was pleased, right? I'm pleased at my son's obedience. So let me tell you something really neat about Christianity. 
Jesus, our savior, right? Has never asked his followers to do anything that he hasn't done first. And that's pretty cool. We also see that baptism honors God, right? So Jesus sets the example. That's my first piece of evidence. My second piece of evidence is that when we are obedient to God through baptism, there is an activation that takes place in the, in the lives and the hearts and the souls of the followers of Jesus. What do I mean by that? So going back to the marriage thing, a relationship with God is much like a relationship with your spouse. It's a process. And as we move through this process of, of knowing God more and building this relationship, we become what's called sanctified. That's a really fancy word, which means the, the, the more time we spend with God, and those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. The more time you spend with someone, the more you kind of like act like them, you start acting like each other. The more time that you spend with God, the more you start acting like God, thinking like God, speaking like God. That's sanctification. And when we do that, God starts to use us. And so all throughout this book, there are promises in this book that as we work through our relationship with Jesus, the more we are obedient to him, there are promises that are kind of unlocked in our life, if you will. They're called conditional promises. There are unconditional promises, like God's always gonna love you, right? Unconditionally, he loves you. There are conditional promises that if we do this, God will do this. And there's lots of them in the Bible. One of them, though, actually has to do with baptism. I'll read it to you here in a second. What it says, though, is when we genuinely ask for God to forgive us and we get baptized as a public profession of faith, there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will be activated in our lives. And I'm gonna read you where that happens or where that's written. So if you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let's say you start off on episode four, right? You're in Matthew and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's mostly about Jesus and the disciples. You get past those first four books, you get into the book of Acts. And that is where the church is born. That's where, that's where we kind of come in, if you will. And so what happened was in Acts chapter two, it was about 50 days after Jesus had been resurrected. Jesus had told his followers after his death, burial, and resurrection, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what that meant, but Jesus said, go wait for it. So they go, they get an apartment building, they pray, they fast, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit of God. It says in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit comes in, fills up everyone in the room, they go out onto the streets, they're worshiping God, they're, the, they're proclaiming the good news about Jesus, but in tongues, foreign tongues, speaking in tongues, in languages that they shouldn't have been able to know. Now why, why would that be important? Because in Jerusalem at that time, people from all over the world were crisscrossing through downtown Jerusalem. So when the Christians poured out onto the street and they're speaking about Jesus and all these foreign tongues, people are going, wait a second, I know what he's saying. And they were listening to the gospel being told. But this was kind of weird, right? A bunch of these followers of this guy that just got crucified two months ago and now they're, they're, they're worshiping in different tongues that they shouldn't be able to know out on the street. So all the people in Jerusalem said, well, they must be crazy. And Peter, who we're about to get into first Peter, Peter gets in front of all these people in Jerusalem and says, no, 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 they're not crazy. In fact, the Bible, right? Hundreds and hundreds of years ago said that the spirit of God would be poured out on his people. And Peter said, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. 
And so he started to tell them why this was happening, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and you guys had him crucified, but he resurrected from the grave. And shockingly, all these people in Jerusalem were like, okay, well, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? And this is very important. This is what Peter said. Peter said, ask for forgiveness, repent, be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is a promise. It's a promise for you. It's a promise for your kids. It's a promise for people who haven't even heard this yet. And so it says, with many other words, Peter testified and he preached to them. And he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. This is important. So those who accepted the gospel were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people got baptized in one day. So what we learn is this. When we ask God to forgive us of our sins, when we're obedient in baptism, there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will work in our life. And if you were with me for the last couple of months, we just did 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And some people get freaked out by those chapters. You don't have to get freaked out by those chapters. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We just need to be knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit because life is crazy. And we need the counsel. We need the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit to help us. And we will have that if we are just obedient to God. He promises we will have that, okay? Very important. Another piece of evidence is that Jesus simply tells us to baptize people. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a story. It's really, really dumb, but I'm gonna tell you because you know it's the 11 o'clock service and we have all the time in the world. No, I'm just joking. I'm not gonna do that to you. So about four or five years ago, I don't know how many years ago it was, I was walking to the copier, which I have to pass Kyle's desk to get to the copier. So I'm walking to the copier. Kyle sees me. He runs out and he goes, dude, there is this new show on Netflix called Stranger Things. He goes, you have to watch this. He says, it's everything you want in a TV. No one had heard of Stranger Things at this point. Me and Kyle were the only ones <laughs> who had heard of Stranger Things at this time. And Kyle's like, it's set in the 80s. Great music, like old sci-fi and horror film references. Like, you gotta watch this show. And I'm like, I'll do it. And I never did. Um, I just didn't think about it. I got busy. I just, I, I don't know. I just never watched Stranger Things. Then about three months later, everyone on planet Earth was watching Stranger Things and it was the most popular thing in the world. And I am that person to where if everyone is doing it, I refuse, even though I know I would like it because I'm stupid, right? And rebellious. <laughs> and I just have this in me. I remember when Coldplay got popular. I loved their first two albums and I never listened to anything after that because I'm like, nope, Coldplay's popular. I guess we're done. So like, that's me. And, and that's just really foolish. So to this day, I've never watched any episodes of Stranger Things and I stopped listening to Coldplay. Um, now that's okay when it comes to TV shows or music. It is not okay when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Even if I do not understand everything that is in the Bible, it is imperative that I am obedient to what the word of God says. And I need to stop debating God. We need to stop debating God and we just need to be obedient to God. So listen, I can't tell you everything about baptism, but I know Jesus said that we're supposed to baptize people. So we just do what he says. That's what following someone is. That even if we don't fully understand, they do and we do what they tell us to do. And if we claim to be Christians, we must be obedient. 
So listen, the last thing Jesus told his followers, the last commandments Jesus gave us before he left earth, right? He said, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teach them everything that I've taught you. That was the last, this is called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is the, 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 basically the last big instruction to the church before Jesus went away in bodily form. Now, Jesus said, I'm still gonna be with you. And what he was referring to is that Holy Spirit that comes up in Acts chapter two. That is God with us until God comes back in bodily form at the end of time to get us. But we are instructed to baptize. Now, look what Jesus says in, in John. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. And it is fascinating, right? And, and especially in American Christianity, we try to figure out how little we can do and still be saved. And, and so if people are trying to constantly get around the commands of Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I instruct you to do. And he instructed us to baptize. Maybe my most favorite part about the evidence and the conversation about baptism is the fact that baptism is symbolic. Even these pictures, right? There's a reason why we put you in a tank and submerge you completely underwater. There's a lot of symbolism in that. And the symbolism is a death and a resurrection. Just like what Austin was praying about when he got up here at the end of the, the, the worship set. Baptism is symbolic of the old you dying and the new you resurrecting from this grave. So listen, if you get baptized, that doesn't mean you come out perfect, right? You're never gonna sin again. You're never gonna struggle again. You're never gonna be tempted again. That's not the case. You're still gonna have to, you're, you're still gonna have to work in your relationship with God and you're gonna have to work to stay away from evil things, right? We're still gonna be imperfect. But if you choose to get baptized, we are labeled new creations where we are no longer slaves to our former lifestyles, the former way that we used to live. And so people often ask, well, Corey, do you think you can be born this way? Whatever this way means, right? Can you be born with a bad temper or born with a, uh, a certain sexual preference or born with this propensity to sin in this way? Can you be born that way? And I say, well, absolutely. We are all born with some propensity to rebel against God. This is why Jesus looked at a man named Nicodemus and said, you have to be born again. You have to be born a second time. And that's what this water is symbolic of. And if you're new to this church, you'll hear me say this probably more than you care to. I am so tired of hearing people who claim to be Christians say things like, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. You're not. You have not read your Bible thoroughly enough because it says in the Bible that you are no longer identified as a dirty, rotten sinner. Corey, what? I'm gonna show it to you. I'm just not making these things up. It says in Romans 6, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death under the water? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in a newness of life. The whole point of salvation is for God to take us off one path and put us on another path, that we do not live the same that we did before we encountered Christ. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, baptism, we will certainly be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at this. For we know that our old self is crucified and that the body ruled by sin is rendered powerless so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. 
Not biblically speaking, no, you are not. That is bad theology to claim that Christ saves us and leaves us in the same position. That is not true. And so this is symbolic of the fact that the old Jew is dead. So becoming a Christian, choosing to get baptized, doesn't mean that we will not make mistakes in the future, but it means that we are no longer slaves to a sinful lifestyle, to perpetual sin, to to constantly making the same mistake over and over and over again. We don't like to say this anymore in church because we wanna make excuses for our sin, but we can be delivered. We can be permanently set free of things. And so oftentimes, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I wanna say, what are you trying to make an excuse for? What sin are you trying to rationalize and make an excuse for? Again, the point of salvation, the point of baptism is the symbolism of deliverance from a destructive path to a path of life. We're on a different road. You have a fresh start. Isn't this a wonderful picture? I just think this is a wonderful picture. I just love this. It looks like it's Photoshopped or something. I just think it's such a great picture. So if we've been put on a new path, if we live in a newness of life, if the old self is crucified, these are all biblical terms, obviously we have a new identity. And this is very, very important. So here's the thing. If you choose to get baptized today, there is no magical formula. There is no magic words that someone says over you and that just saves your soul. Um, It is the genuineness of your heart that matters when you get into that water. There's nothing magical about the water. It's Murfreesboro water, so there's probably a lot of calcium in it. It's probably very hard water, but anyways, there's nothing magical about the water. But though it is the genuineness of your heart that's important when you get baptized, it is important that we pray for you. Not only is it important that we pray for you, it is important that we pray Jesus's name over you because this is the name you are taking. Back to the wedding ring. You ladies in this room who have, who, who have gotten married, right? And, and I, I know every woman doesn't do this, but the majority of the time, when a woman gets married, you put on the ring and you take on your husband's name. It changes your identity to a certain extent. It changes your name. If we are the bride, who are we the bride of? Christ. So when we get into that, if that's the wedding ring, if you will, we are taking on our husband's name. This is our new identity. So it is very important for us to understand whose identity we are adopting. This is why Paul said this. This may be the most relevant scripture for our day and age right now. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. In America, we'd say there's no black or white, right? It's not about your color. There is no slave or free. It's not about being rich or poor. It's not about economics. There is no male or female. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Since you are all one under Jesus. What Paul is saying is, there is nothing wrong with being proud about being an African-American. There's nothing wrong about being proud about being successful or educated. There's nothing wrong with being proud about your nationality. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not your identity. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ if you have given your life to Christ. And we live in a day and age in the United States where we try to find our identity in absolutely everything except for the one thing that we are made in the image of. And we wonder why we're so confused and depressed and anxious and angry and all these things because we keep trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and it does not work. 
The only thing that you are made to resemble is your creator, God. And until we place our identity in God, we're gonna be lost. This is important. So you have a new identity in Christ. First and foremost, you are a Christian. Then you're an American. Then you're a male or female. Then you're black or white or whatever the case may be. But first and foremost, you are a Christian. Amen, I like that. Thank you. The last big thing that we get a lot of questions about, right? People always wanna ask, do I have to? Do you know what's remarkable about Christianity in the United States? We are the only people in the world that try to do as little as we can to be saved. I hope you ingest that. Uh, it, it bothers me how frequently people who have been saved by the grace of God say, do I have to? Okay, so I never answer this question. Corey, do you think you have to be saved to, or do you think you have to be baptized to be saved? I'm not gonna answer that because I think it's an awful question. Here's what the Bible says though in 1 Peter. We'll get to this in like three weeks. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. So if this is the wedding ring, it's not my marriage, this ring, this piece, no, this piece of white gold is saying to my wife and to everyone around me, I pledge my allegiance to this woman. I pledge my devotion to this woman until death do we part. Baptism is a pledge to God saying, I'm with you. You are now my spiritual husband, right? And I am with you until you come back or I drop dead. It is a pledge. It is a pledge of good conscience towards God. What that means is this. We often have this view in American Christianity that salvation is the finish line. It is not the finish line. Salvation is the starting line. Just like your marriage, right? When you walk down the aisle, you're like, okay, well, I guess we're done. Nope. You have just begun. You have just started this thing. This is the beginning of this. And though initial salvation may happen when you accept Christ, we then have to be obedient to Christ. And the first step in obedience is baptism. And here's the thing. You can argue if you have to go to church or have to give or have to serve or have to get baptized. You can argue those points, but you cannot argue obedience. We have to be obedient to Christ to have a relationship with Christ. Marriage, right? Unless you wanna end up in divorce, you guys better submit yourselves to each other. You better be devoted to each other. So baptism shows the world our pledge that we are devoted to our husband, to God, right? That's what that does. So here's the thing. If you are in here this morning and you are not a believer, Glad you're here, by the way. But if you're in here and you're like, I'm not a believer, but I'm looking, but I wanna do this. I, I, I wanna become a believer. So the first step is that we have to believe that this Bible is true. We have to believe that Jesus is everything he said he, he is. Now, this is not enough alone to save us. Well, Corey, how dare you say that? I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. Listen, there's two different kinds of belief. There is a belief in who Jesus is but there also has to be a saving faith, which means we live like we know who Jesus is. What do I mean by that? The book of James says that even the devils in hell believe in Jesus. They know who he is. They know he's the savior of the world, right? They know that. They used to be roommates with him, right? They were up in heaven before they got cast down to hell. 
The devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows what Jesus is capable of and what he's going to do. They know that. That doesn't mean that they're saved. You have to live like you know who Jesus is. So we must first, though, believe who Jesus is. You're the son of God. You came to save me. You love me. I believe this book is true, right? And because we know who Jesus is and we believe this book is true, we should feel heartfelt sorrow for the evil that we have done and we should ask God to forgive us of our sins. Not just forgive us of our sins, we should want to move away from sin. If I love my wife more than anything, I should want to get away from anything that would hurt her or that could get between us, right? So whenever I hear Christians go, oh, we're all just dirty sinners, we just make mistakes. And I'm like, but you should want to not make those mistakes. You should want to get away from that if you truly love Christ. That's what true repentance is. It is an about face away from evil. And yes, we must also have what I call daily faith or saving faith. This is having a relationship with Christ. This is being dependent on him. This is praying. This is talking to him, right? This is surrendering to him, trusting him. And then all throughout the Bible, you see people believe, repent, have daily faith. And all throughout the Bible, people who gave their lives to Jesus were baptized. It was their outward profession to the world that God had changed their heart. We see this all throughout the New Testament. This is how people responded to the gospel. So what's interesting about all this is I have not answered the question, do you have to be, do you have to be baptized to, to be saved, to go to heaven? And I refuse to answer that question because I think it's terrible. If I'm doing a wedding for a young couple and right before I say, I pronounce you man and and the husband turns around and goes, oh, hey, we already got the rings on. Like, do I have to keep talking to her? This isn't gonna go well, correct? Right? But we do a form of that with God, don't we? We get saved and we're like, do I have to keep going to church now? Do I have to serve? Do I have to give? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to be committed? Do I have to pray? Do I have to read my Bible? Now listen, I'm not saying this to be mean and I'm not saying it to be ugly and I'm not saying this to condemn you or guilt you. You and I in this room, if we have a rudimentary knowledge, an elementary level knowledge of the fact that the creator of the universe Jesus is the creator. It says this in the Gospel of John, right? All things were created through him, by him, for him. If the creator of the universe comes to his own creation, chooses to be born in a barn, live as a blue-collar masonry carpenter until 30 years old, where he basically chooses to be homeless, go all over and be persecuted and made fun of to teach the gospel, to, to talk about the kingdom of God, at 33 and a half years old, gets unlawfully arrested, beat up, spat upon, spat upon, nailed to a hunk of wood where he hung for hours. Why? For your forgiveness of sins and for your opportunity to go to heaven. If we understand just a little bit of what I just said, and if our first response to that story is, do I have to? There is a much bigger issue. Does that make sense? If you understand that someone has gone to those lengths for you, and then we go, do I have to go to church? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to pray? Do I have, do I have to talk to the God that did all this for me? Do I have to do that? If those are the kinds of questions that our faith revolves around, there is a much deeper problem. 
If I have to tell a husband that you, you, you need to take out your wife, why do I have to take my wife out? Okay, let's go back a couple of steps because there's a deeper problem. There's a deeper problem. If our relationship around God is centered around what do I have to do, we have an issue. If we do, even on an elementary level, understand how much Christ has done for us, our question should be more centered around, what can I do for you? Do I have to do it? Listen, I don't care if you have to go to church, have to give, have to serve, have to get baptized, have to pray, have to read your Bible. Because of the ditch God pulled me out of, I want to do those things. I want to please him. I want to be as close to him as possible, okay? Those are better questions to ask. Do I have to? I don't care. I want to. I want to do these things. So here's the thing. I don't care what stage of your walk you are in right now. Everyone can respond to Jesus Christ today. The first way you can respond is up here on my left today. He's usually on my right, but Greg is on my left. He's one of our pastors here. And, and if you have any questions, if you're not a believer, maybe you're a brand new believer, but you're like, I don't really know what to do next. Please come up here and talk to Pastor Greg. He'd love to talk with you. Any questions, we're not offended by questions. You don't need to worry about you know, your, how you look or, or any of that. Please come up here and talk to Greg. The second way you can respond in this room today is if you claim to be a believer or maybe you gave your life to Christ today, I wanna ask you why, if you have not been baptized, what is keeping you from this? I don't want you to get baptized because you feel guilty or condemned, but after all the stuff we've talked about today, to see that this pleases God the Father, that it's an act of obedience. Listen, it will bless you. It will strengthen your relationship with Christ if you haven't done this, because God honors obedience. If maybe you were baptized as an infant or a child and it wasn't your choice, or maybe you've never been baptized, Today, you can go right through these double doors. They have clothes, they have towels, they'll pray with you. The water is clean and warm. We'll come over here and do that. And I just wanna encourage you, please, if you haven't done this, you need to do this. The last way you can respond is there is communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. If you are a believer, you can either, if there's any sin in your life that you need to address, you need to ask God to forgive you before you take communion, or Sometimes because we get so busy, we just forget to appreciate everything Christ has done for us. So here in a minute, if you wanna go and get communion, go back to your seat, talk to God for a little bit, ask God to forgive you if you need to do that, or maybe just sit and meditate on the fact that that bread and wine represent the fact that Jesus gave his body and blood for us. Okay, so all of us can respond this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me pray for you. And then I'll invite you to respond however you need to respond. Father, Lord, we love you, God. For everyone in this room, th there are probably so many unique stories in this room, God. And we thank you, Lord, for however we ended up in this room this morning, God, we are here because you want us here. Father, whether that needs to be that we need to go up and talk to Greg and get more clarity on, on how to follow you. Maybe, Lord, some people in this room need to listen, God, and be sensitive to your spirit. And today needs to be the day that they, that they get baptized. If that's them, God, Lord, speak to their heart. And then, Father, if people just need to get communion, maybe they need to repent for sin. Maybe they just need to sit and meditate and talk to you for a minute. God, I pray that you bless everyone in this room. I pray that you protect them and keep them safe. 
I pray, God, that as we start First Peter next week, Lord, that we can grow closer to you through your word. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself however you need to uh, do that.